You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. You may have realized that, that, you know, that space of time between Christmas and New Year's is just so strange. You don't know, I mean, a couple of times throughout the week where like, I really didn't know what day it was and you have to kind of ask, what is today? It's just a weird, a weird space, you know, and, and then you get through Christmas, you get through New Year's and even in the anticipation of Advent, right? It's all about anticipating. It's all about reflection. And then there comes a point where you just want to put away the Christmas decorations. Uh, you want to kind of get back to normal routine. You want to get back to school. You want to get back to kind of normal work schedule. And that's where we are, right? You, you kind of exhale, take a deep breath and, and try to get back to a sense of, of normalcy. And, you know, we haven't taken the decorations down here, right? That'll happen this week. We haven't taken them down at home. We tried to yesterday, but decided not to. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. It's happening soon, right? I talked to someone earlier they, they, that they, they just set everything on fire in their backyard, right? It's a great way just to be like, we're done. I love it. But the question I want to consider this morning is, so, so what does life look like after Christmas? So we're taking a little break from our normal series uh, through the Gospel of John. Actually going to take a a break and look in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Thinking about the question of, yeah, what's life after Christmas look like? After all this anticipation, all this busy, uh, what do we do? Do we just go back to kind of old ways and New Year's is a a great opportunity and way to to start new habits and and new mindsets and new uh, ambitions and, and, and routines? What does God desire for us? Does he care about any of it? Um, does he care about our, the mundane day-to-day stuff? I think you hopefully realize the answer is yes, he, he does. And, and I think today we'll, we'll, we'll look at what that might look like for us, life after Christmas, what the pace of life that he desires for us to be. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, uh, uh, maybe a familiar story for many of you uh, who have spent time in God's word, maybe a new story for you, and that's okay. Either way, we're going to walk through it this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, we have the story of Mary Martha and their encounter with, with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. A brief story, an important story. Uh, The central point of this brief passage might seem really straightforward. In fact, it is. There's no mysterious hidden meaning in this passage. It's pretty straightforward. You and I need to find ways in our life to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Right? We need to do whatever needs to be done in order to rest in Christ, to rest in him, to find that good portion in our life. The good portion that Jesus desires for us to to have, to embrace, to keep throughout our day. In the midst of all the chaos in our life and world that's going around, there is a portion, there is something good that Jesus wants us to embrace and Mary finds it. And 
even in the midst of challenges, right? This struggle, this cha- the challenges that she faces with her own sister. The interaction between Jesus and two of his, which will become his, two of his closest friends is incredibly ordinary. It's incredibly ordinary and mundane. But it's in this ordinary event that we see this extraordinary point and this portrait of what it means to connect with Jesus, what it means to sit at his feet, what it means to live in a gospel-paced life, a pace of life that is walking with Jesus every single day. Uh, I want you to consider this picture just for a moment. We'll, I'll tell you about what, where I'm headed with this. Uh, this is the Grand Canyon. <clears throat> it doesn't look like that. Uh, maybe, maybe you know this. Maybe you've seen pictures like this before. It's actually quite a, an extraordinary phenomenon <clears throat> that happens about just once a decade in the Grand Canyon. It's called temperature inversion. It's when this cold air is trapped by a layer of warm air and it creates this stunning visual effect and it looks like this, this, just this lake and ocean of fog. An event that no doubt enhances the beauty of the Grand Canyon. You look at something like this and say, this is just spectacular. Something that enhances the beauty of the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon's beautiful, but this is just even better. It's an extraordinary event, a big event, a dramatic event that doesn't happen very often. And you would stop and pause at an event like this and just stand in awe of the beauty of it. And here is the thing that we think about a lot in our daily lives. We're looking for these beautiful, climactic extraordinary encounters with Jesus throughout our life that help us grow spiritually. But it only happens like once a decade. This fog does not make the canyon beautiful inherently. The canyon is beautiful. This just enhances it. And I don't know where you're looking for, what you're looking for this year in your relationship with God. If you're looking for this, this big event, this big mountaintop experience, if you're looking for God to show you himself and his character and his love for you in an extraordinary way, uh, you will probably be discouraged if you're looking for the big neon sign answers from God. And today we see Jesus in the daily the mundane, look at, there's no, no big thing. What is the big crisis that Jesus enters into in this passage? Dinner. Dinner, that's, that's the big crisis. That is the big thing. No one is about to get raised from the dead. No one is going to get healed. No clouds are gonna be parted. No one is going, no one's gonna, a crowd is not gonna be drawn to this event. Dinner, it just needs to be served and Jesus has a lot to teach us about this. The big event, this is the point, is just so simple. Jesus desires to break into the busyness of our life. He desires to break into the daily, the daily stresses, the things that are common to everyone around us and he wants to rearrange everything in our life, and he wants to be at the center of it for us. This is his purpose, this is his hope for us, this is his plan for us, all the way down to the mundane, the daily activities of your life. Be excited for those big dramatic events. I mean, maybe think about your spiritual uh, journey and your relationship with God, and think about those big pivotal moments in your life maybe only once a decade, maybe twice a decade at most. But in the daily is where he meets us. Jesus says to Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
You know, a couple other translations of this that might help shine some light on it. The NIV says, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. The, the, more, uh, the message translation says, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential. I mean, these are just common, mundane ways of talking to people in our lives. Busyness can be like a thermometer of our spiritual health. Busyness can often be a symptom of a much bigger problem. Being troubled, being anxious, being frenzied throughout our day can be a symptom of a greater problem. And this is what Jesus wants to get to. You know, the, this, does this mean that Jesus is against busyness? Not at all. He's not against busyness. I, I was, it was my sophomore year, the, the year after I became a Christian was my sophomore year. And so I started my sophomore year. I had to learn this lesson the hard way. So I was very busy. I spent much of my life, I had spent my whole life away from Jesus, busy, always working for you know, my agenda to please my parents, to please my friends, frantically trying to live up to my own standard for how I thought I should be in my life. I lived double-minded and conflicted in many ways. Jesus could have easily come to me and said, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is essential. That was my life. I was just in a frenzy of activity, trying to prove myself to everyone around me. There were so many things that I had to be doing in my life. Everything was a crisis. And then I discovered God's unmerited favor, his grace. I, I discovered the gospel. My heart was changed. My life was humbled. I was humbled. I trusted in Jesus for the first time in my life. The frantic storm of constant activity, both inside and outside, was calmed, and I was at rest. And for the next 12 months, I did absolutely nothing. I didn't go to class. I got a 1.0 GPA that year. <clears throat> I didn't clean my room. I didn't groom myself. I put on 20 pounds. I slept till lunch every day. I, I was really misunderstanding what it meant to rest in Christ. <laughs> Ironically, that's the year I met Janae. So there so was something she saw in me. It's the kind of guy I want. <clears throat> It worked out. Not all busyness is bad. How do we know the difference? Right, so I had to learn that the hard way. That's an example of, wait, resting in Jesus doesn't mean forsaking responsibility and forsaking even busy times. Laziness is, is rebuked. Idleness is rebuked in scripture. Not all busyness is bad. God made Adam to work. It's part of our design as being made in the image of God, that we are uh, creative, that we are responsible, that we labor. The Bible even uses the, the word toil. Uh, we were created with work to do work, and that requires sacrifice, commitment, and it will make us weary. We are told to love and sacrifice for others. If we are living faithfully as God's workers, we will be busy and we will get tired. Inactivity and laziness is not a sign of godly rest in Jesus. So how do we know when we are being busy in the right way and being busy in the wrong way? I think our passage helps us with three diagnostic questions that I wanna ask. And we wanna ask these three diagnostic questions and you can think of, of these uh, in yourself, apply them to yourself, and then we're gonna look at the good portion that Jesus gives us that he offers to Martha. 
which Mary has also embraced. Here's the first diagnostic question. Why are you busy? Super simple, right? Look closely at your motives. Look at what, why you're busy. What is causing you to be busy? What is pushing you and motivating you to be in a frenzy of activity? If you were to ask yourself, why am I busy? Well, I have a lot going on. I have a lot of responsibilities. There's, there's a lot that I'm entrusted with. You know, Jesus says to, to Martha, there is, there's one thing that's necessary, There's a lot of things that you think are ultimately important, but there's one thing that is essentially important. Jesus says to her, essentially, there are a lot of things that you feel that have to be done, but there's only one thing that really needs to be done. And what is that? Why why do you have to be doing all these things that are ultimately causing you to become distracted, anxious, and burdened right now? You know, Martha is, is, is one of those people, and we have this portrait of her in the New Testament, uh, enough to say that Martha, Martha is very responsible. Martha is, is very driven. She is a, a leader. She's probably um, says this, starts most sentences with this phrase, I have to dot, dot, dot. <laughs> There's always something she has to be doing. I've got to do this. I have to do that. I have to do this. She's always around. Like she's always busy. Uh, she's cooking the burgers after church. You know, she's the one that's just always around making sure that things get done. I have to get this right. I have to be on time. I have to make sure my guests are happy. I have to be in good shape. I have to keep my composure. I have to, I have to, I have to. And this kind of busyness could be a symptom of what uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung calls in his book, uh, Crazy Busy, which is a great book. It's really short. Uh, you You can read it even if you're busy. And he calls them the killer peas. You know, why are you busy? Here are some things you can ask yourself and, and diagnose your own heart. One is because you're a people pleaser, the killer peas, the people pleaser. You say yes to others because you want them to like you. You can't, you can't uh, manage to think about what if somebody uh, thinks uh, unapprovingly of me. And so you're frantically having to do things so that others will look upon you in a favorable way. It's not wrong to be kind. It's not wrong to be sacrificial. We're actually called to these kinds of postures. But it's, there's a kind of busyness that's motivated by fear. You're afraid of others, of what others might think of you. What if I say no? What if I, what if I don't meet their expectations? What if I can't live up to what they expect of me? What if I fail? And so there's a kind of busyness that is motivated by fear. You see, we have to get deeper to the level of like really deep in our heart to really diagnose some of these motives and these, these issues in our life. Another uh, than people pleasing is uh, pats on the back. So this isn't motivated by fear. This is motivated by something else. It's motivated by self-glory. We just, I, just, I want people to see the good that I do so that I can get the recognition that I desire. You're busy because you love praise, you know, you're working 70 hours a week uh, and then the, because if the, when the project is finally done, the people will look on it and give you praise and you will feel a sense of, of worth. You'll feel a sense of fullness because you're getting the recognition that you desire. You love when people say you're so awesome, you're so hardworking, you're incredible. Don't worry about who is struggling and suffering because of your busyness. Think about how much people around you love what you are doing. That could be a motivator for some of you. Pat's on the back. Another P is pity. Because tired people get pity. 
how are you doing? Oh, I'm really busy. Oh, I'm so sorry. There's something weird that happens when people pity us and feel sorry for us. There's something, there's something weird that happens. We're motivated uh, for people to feel sorry for us and to have pity on us and compassion on us. And we think that sometimes if we work ourselves to the bone and work ourselves to just constant tiredness and weariness, that others will look at us and think that we are just uh, not only just hardworking, but that our life is so, so uh, difficult and we should just receive pity. And if we get our lives under control and start having healthier habits in our life, then no one will put on those emotional bandages in our lives. And maybe people will just ignore us. So those are some killer peas. There's, there's, here's some other killer peas. Poor planning. I'm busy just because I'm a poor planner. Power. We just want to be in control. We want to be in charge. We don't like to submit or give up our time and energy or power to other people. Perfectionism. It has to be right. It really doesn't. I don't believe that. Do you? <laughs> There's a lot of other peas. Time spent on these killer peas will become an outpost for our own glory. And these are motivators of not a good kind of busyness. Why are you busy? What's the real reason that you need to add something to your plate? What's the real reason? Is it necessary? Is it necessary? Busyness becomes a, a gospel issue that God is concerned about when we keep running to do things in order to prove ourselves to God and others. Am I doing this to make someone happy? Am I doing this to prove myself? Am I doing this to receive praise? Am I doing this to feel worth? Am I doing this to feel uh, important? Am I doing this so that they're not mad? True or false, you can never be busy in a bad way by doing Christian activities. True. No, false. <laughs> you can do a lot of Christian activities and, and be very unbiblical. What was Martha doing that Jesus rebuked? She was serving him. She was serving Jesus, like the Messiah, like the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And she was serving him and, and, and he rebuked her. Who ever thought that you could get corrected for going frantically crazy, trying to make Jesus happy? It's exactly what he does. It is the wrong kind of busy to engage in Christian service if the motive is to get God to like you. Why are you doing it? Diagnostic question number two. Does it cause inner turmoil? Look at your heart. Not just look at your motives and why you're doing it, but now look at your heart. Look deep in your heart. What is it causing inner turmoil? Are you easily angered? Are you easily losing your patience? Do you easily lose the joy of your salvation? Jesus says to Martha, you are anxious and troubled. Anxious. Literally meaning here, you are torn between a hundred different things right now. You are always spinning. Your mind is always going. You, you, you're not double-minded. You're like a hundred-minded. You are going in so many different places. You're losing sleep. You're fatigued. Your tank, your tank is beyond empty. I mean, you just, you're burnt out. You're burnt out, and, and, and this is affecting your heart. 
your inner life, you're not giving care to your inner life and it's destroying you. You're anxious, you're also troubled. The, the word here gives the imagery of a capsized ship on the water. It says that's what you're like. A lot of things disappoint you in your life and you're just, you're upside down, you're taking on water. There are so many things that bother you and take away your joy. Busyness can be like a thermometer to our spiritual health, but it can also be a symptom of a deeper issue. And that's what Jesus is going deeper and deeper into with Martha. So Martha, you want to serve me, but this is a symptom of of something much deeper that is going on. He digs in further to her. He says, Martha, I'm picking up on something in your heart that is resulting in a very busy and anxious life. But the problem is much busy, much deeper than just your busyness. You are not choosing to rest in me and it's destroying your life. And so even the good that you want to do, you're not able to do it well. It's causing you to be bitter towards your sister. It's causing you to point out her fault, it's causing you to rebuke me. I mean, that's pretty bold of Martha. Jesus, why don't, can you tell her to help me help you? It's amazing what is going on here. It's causing you to question my love for you. So she doubts Jesus' love and concern because so she's thinking, you're not concerned about my needs. It's causing you to miss out on what's really, really good. It's not wrong to be tired. When you're tired, that doesn't mean that you have a deep issue that needs to be tended to. It is not wrong to be overwhelmed with responsibility. It's not wrong to be weary. And sometimes those can be signs of faithfulness. What is wrong and even foolish is to live our lives with a heart that does not know how to rest because we have failed to rest in Jesus. Where we just don't know how to slow down, know how to rest. God has instructed us in so many ways that we are to work six days and rest on the seventh, that that this day was given for us, for our benefit. The Sabbath day was set aside because he expected and intended that we would be so tired that we would need to rest. And he is our ultimate rest, that he invites us to come to him. Come and, and, and he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, come bring, bring your cares to me. Find your rest in me. And some of us just have so difficult of a time just knowing how to rest. How hard is it to rest? It is so hard. Have you realized how exhausting it is to try to rest? It's like one of those things you're like, I'm too tired to sleep. I'm too hungry to eat. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too wrapped up. I'm too anxious, too troubled to just come and rest with Jesus. As tempting as it is, right? to just keep being busy, it never delivers. Busyness is a sign of a greater problem when we keep ourselves busy to ignore the difficult struggles in our life. Maybe if I just keep moving, that storm will not overwhelm me. Just keep going, just keep moving, just keep layering on all the stuff that needs to be done and you never have to think about your emotions. It seems like a great idea but ultimately it fails us. Ultimately our whole life around us will collapse inwardly. It provides, like, it definitely provides a a temporary therapeutic peace when we just don't think about how we feel. But it doesn't last and something so much better is available to us. Something so much better. This is what, what Mary has chosen. 
She has chosen the better portion. She has chosen to connect with Jesus. She has chosen to rest in him in the most mundane of activities, just her daily, daily routine. Let's look at the last diagnostic question. Does it cause you to forsake good things? This is where we look at Mary, looking closely at your habits. So how do you know? Look closely at your motives, look closely at your heart, look closely at your habits. These are good questions or situations to think about. Am I busy in the right way? The issue in this story is not between laziness and busyness. If it were, I think it would be an easier passage to understand. Be like, of course, he's talking about don't be lazy and, and you just need to be busy. He's actually talking about two kinds of busyness. A good busyness and a bad busyness. Jesus is not rebuking Martha for being lazy. Or, I'm sorry, for being busy. The right application is not, you're busy in your life, stop being busy. You will not hear me say today, if you are busy in your life, you just need to slow down and stop being busy. That is not the right application. Your right application from this might be, you need to take on more stuff. Is it the right stuff? For Jesus even says, Mary is busy doing something. There is a kind of busy that is good. There's a kind of busy that is not good. Jesus affirms Mary's kind of busyness and corrects Martha in her kind of busyness. He corrects that busyness and he affirms Mary's busyness. He uses the word portion. It's an issue of ordering our loves, ordering our lives. It is an issue of giving this amount of energy to this thing, this amount of energy to this thing. It is a a matter of being responsible and strategic in portioning out our energy and life to certain things. And, and Martha's is just all upside down. You may have a full schedule going into the new year. No doubt you do. Jesus is not rebuking your full schedule. He is rebuking a full schedule that causes you to forsake good things. He is rebuking a full schedule that causes you to forsake the good portion. If your life does not allow you to worship regularly with God and his people, change is needed. If your life does not allow you to engage in meaningful, healthy fellowship with God's people, then change is needed. If your schedule doesn't allow you to love your neighbor well, change is needed. If your schedule doesn't allow you for deliberate personal time in getting at the Lord's feet and sitting at his feet to learn from him in his word, then change is needed. Sometimes even Christian habits can kind of sound contradictory, right? A lot of, you've probably heard it before, you need to be at rest, you need to be at peace, you need to be, you need to slow down, you need to take things off your plate. You come to church every week, go to life group every week, love your neighbor every week, you need to do all these things, but have fun trying to find rest. It seems contradictory at times, right? Have people in your home often, share a meal with them, prioritize date nights. Wow, it's like, I'm, I'm tired already. I don't know where God wants to best apply this sermon for, for your life today. What do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing in order to do what is ultimately good? What is essential? What is the good portion? What habits do you need to engage in in order to be faithful this year? What habits need to stop in order to be faithful? What needs to be done in order for Jesus to be at the center of it all? He is the good portion. One thing is sure, you need 
to not be too busy to ever be face-to-face with Jesus every day, learning from him, resting in him, soaking up his word, resting in his completed work. If you are too busy to allow his gospel to speak deep into your heart, then some change is needed. What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? Because I can tell you, sit at Jesus' feet. What does that mean? To sit at his feet like Mary. Because after all, this is the final instruction, right? Like I said, the passage is pretty self-explanatory. What does that mean to sit like Mary at Jesus' feet? It means to make Jesus the master of our time. It means to make Jesus the master. Do we value, do we view our life as, and our, our time as our time, and then we try to fit Jesus into that? So we, God, I got my life, I got my time, I got my energy, I got my responsibilities, and I'll try the best I can to kind of fit Jesus into different components of my life. Or, and that, that's how Martha was, or we like Mary and say, my, the one thing that is important is you, Jesus. And I will put you at the center of my time. I'll put you at the center of my energy. I'll put you at the center of all that I have because it's all yours and I will submit everything in my life to you. And I will order my life after obedience and rest in you. And that's how I'll live every day. Even down to the mundane activities of dinner, to hospitality, to work, to our responsibilities, to our parenting, to everything. Jesus, you are at the center. Let me order my life after a love for you. That's really the key difference. The key difference is I've got responsibilities. Jesus, help me. To Jesus, you are my life. How have you called me to live and to love and to serve? And then we engage in those things. Martha says, Jesus, you and Mary need to fit in to my life. How bold is she? She's the same one that comes to Jesus when her brother dies and says, where were you? If you would have been here on time, he would be alive. See, she, he is working on her. He's working on her heart and she doesn't change quickly and neither do we. But he continues to show himself as the, that he is the rest that she needs to find. And Jesus says, Mary is ordering her time around me and you are asking me to order my time around you. It's very different. It's very possible that today you are more like Martha than you've ever wanted to be. It may be that you are more like Martha than you've ever been. You and I will never order our time around God until we sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. He never tells us that we need to please him in order to be loved by him. We can stop our frantically ordering our life to find his love. He has given himself to us. He's died for our sins. He's resurrected in triumph over over the penalty for our sins. He has welcomed us into his family. He himself is our rest and he invites us into his rest. And he says, do not fail to rest while you can in me. We have this opportunity, we have the invitation from him to rest in him. And when we can rest in Christ and his completed work for us, then everything else in our life will fall into place where it needs to be. Put him at the center this year. Whatever you do, I'm excited for you. I'm excited to hear about your New Year's resolutions. I'm excited to hear about your ambitions. I'm excited to hear about your goals. Put Jesus at the center of it all. Put him at the center of it all and sit at his feet. 
and rest in Him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.